I think it started to, to like really click when I did a Kickstarter of three months. And the second someone says, holy crap, he just made a hundred grand. Like that, that is like a ear grabber, you know? What's up, you guys? My name is Mikko Kraszowski, and welcome to episode 67 of That Remote Life Podcast, where we hear from location-independent entrepreneurs and professionals so you can quit the cubicle and live life on your terms. Now, today on the podcast, I'm joined by Tom Burden, the CEO and founder of GripMat, which is a multi-purpose, flexible tool mat for mechanics that helps keep your tools in place and organized while you work on cars, planes, or anywhere else that you might need tools. Tom came up with the idea for GripMat after serving in the Air Force as a jet mechanic. And after leaving the Air Force, he dove into the startup world and launched his company. The GripMat is now a favorite tool of mechanics and DIYers all over the country and even caught the eye of Mark Cuban, Lori Grenier, and Richard Branson when Tom appeared on Shark Tank uh, to pitch GripMat. And during this episode, Tom and I discuss what it was like to start your own business after coming out of the military and if he thought that his experience uh, in the Air Force was a pro or a con to starting a business, what he learned from his Shark Tank investors and what appearing on the show was like. And we also got to talk about his experience running an e-commerce business with a partially remote team and what his ideas and plans are around continuing to work remotely after uh, the COVID pandemic. Now, this was a really fun conversation and I hope you guys like it as much as I did. As always, you can find the full show notes over at thatremotelife.com forward slash episode 67. That's episode all spelled out followed by the number 67. All right, you guys, without further ado, let's dive into this interview with Tom Burden. All right. Well, Tom, welcome to the show, man. Thank you so much for uh, coming on and taking the time to be here. We were just saying before we hit record, um, I showed up looking like this and you showed up with a bow tie and like suspenders and all dressed up for people who are listening on audio. Uh, I'm getting shown up right now, but is that how you always dress for interviews or am I just like a special case? This is how I, I dress like this all the time. Like I sleep in this outfit. I take showers in this outfit. I go jogging in this outfit. I'm just kidding. Um, just like events or interviews. Yeah. Depends on the interview. If it's like automotive, automotive focused, I might have like a grip mat shirt on be in front of like a car with a hood popped grip mats underneath it. But uh, yeah, I mean, just kind of, if it's more like entrepreneurial based or like motivational based, I'll wear this outfit. Where did that come from? Like, were you always like, like, were you like a big Bill Nye fan or what? Like, where did the bow tie come from? Uh, I had this roommate, Jackie, who she, uh, she had like six wigs. And when she would go out, she would have, she'd wear a wig and each wig had a different personality. For my birthday, she was like, she was like, we're all going to get dressed up and go out for your birthday. And I'm like, I'm down, but I'm not wearing a wig. Um, I'll make my own outfit. I call it Wilbur. Uh, so the original Wilbur was like very like nerdy, like tape on the glasses, like a calculator in my pocket and uh, like the whole nine yards. But then Wilbur kind of grew into like just more of like a, a kind of a kind of a little bit nerdy, but like less nerdy and more like 007 style almost. <laughs> more like more like. Um, chic or a little more modern yeah so was there a point at which wilbur and tom kind of became the same person or do you still feel like you switch between the two uh so now we have tilbur i'm just kidding uh, okay <laughs> <laughs> yeah maybe they, maybe they just like merge together i would say that there's definitely like a energy and an attitude of like if i go out uh, like and there's a dance floor i like to dance a lot and um there's also like this thing when I wear when I wear the outfit 
if I'm going to like a public event, they like, like if there's someone taking tickets or someone like guarding the door, I can almost every single time just walk by them. And they like, if I'm standing in line, they're like, why are you standing in line? Um, they just like think I'm supposed to be there or like I'm a performer or something. Um, Cause it's just like a unique outfit, I guess. I think there's definitely some truth to that. And to people listening, we're not just going to talk about bow ties and stuff like that. We'll, we'll dive into some business stuff, but I definitely think there's some truth to the thing of like dress for the job you want kind of thing. I definitely think there's some truth to that. Cause when I worked in menswear in a past life, like you, you know, there's definitely that, like the clothes in a way are like, you can't like that has happened to me before as well, where like if I dress really sharp on a day-to-day basis, you do have that thing where like, oh, you just assume that you should be there and that kind of thing. So I can definitely yeah. see that. But I, again, Tom, thank you for being on uh, this podcast. And for people who don't know you, you're the founder of Gripmat, which is a really cool company. What exactly um, is Gripmat? If you kind of, I know that you've probably practiced your elevator pitch 18 gazillion times, but I'll give you another chance to practice it. Yeah, so it's a flexible non-slip tool tray that gives mechanics a safe place to set their tools. So I was an F-16 mechanic, was tired of my tools sliding off the aircraft. And later in my mom's car, I noticed she had a non-slip mat on her dashboard to keep her cell phone in place when driving. So I was like, well, we can make these larger for tools. And it's also like bright orange. So it acts as like a visual management to give, it's a visual management so you can easily see your tools. So um, it's kind of like building the habit for mechanics to constantly set their tools into the tool tray. So like on top of an aircraft, the issue is like tool sliding, not a really good place to set tools. So it's grippy, holds the tools. Underneath the hood of a car, it's, the problem is that people are scattering their tools all over the engine and they're not staying organized, not keeping their tools together. Therefore, when they get in a hurry, it's easy to, you know, drop the hood of the car, start working on the next car for, you know, the professional mechanics, and they could easily like leave their tools underneath the hood. So mechanics are known for leaving tools underneath the hood and they can be like very costly. The, the high-end professional mechanic tools can, can cost a lot of money. Like a single ratchet could cost $165. Talking to mechanics, it's, it's very common for them to say, yeah, I've, I've lost that, that $165 ratchet or I've lost a flashlight or, or anything. Um, something that's interesting with the flashlights is that they're magnetic and then they'll like stick to the hood and then like over time the flashlight will die and then they'll just keep working and then forget about it and then they drop the hood and yeah shit breaks so, shit breaks and shit gets left in cars and planes and all kinds of other things so one of the interesting things to me is that with your military background I view entrepreneurs as, as being very creative, right? And I think that that sometimes pushes against the sort of personality that you see from a lot of like people that are in the military. Was that something that like, were you always entrepreneurial in that way? And you were in like, that was something that you almost had to like battle with in the military? Or do you feel like it was the opposite? Like, what do you think about that? So there's been a, um, you know, like growing up, my parents were kind of, but like they showed me the basics of, of entrepreneurship. Like my dad does snow removal and construction on the side full time. He, he, he's a truck driver. Um, so like, I understood like how you could approach people or like just kind of start your own thing. And then my mom, she did, she's the extreme couponer and would sell everything on the garage sale. So uh, like, she kind of showed me like the basics of sales and, um, you know, how to take money, how to like count money, how to the concept of like, you know, you had $20 in sales at your hot dog stand, but you know, $10 of that was change that mom gave you. And then $5 of that was to pay for the plates and the the hot dogs and everything. So as a little kid, I'm like, dude, we've got 20 bucks. And I, I see now it's funny, like seeing other companies or people would be like, our revenue was like a hundred grand. I'm like, yeah, but your profit is the only thing that really matters. And that was only like 10 grand. So you really didn't make any money when you factor in like time and labor. So it is like, I did have like the very basics. And then like when you're saying going to the military, it's kind of interesting because 
the military like really, really pushes you to be like a rule follower and like really um, like stay within the parameters. And with entrepreneurship, it's not always like that. Was that something that you had to deal with afterwards? Because like exactly like a lot of entrepreneurs are rule breakers, right? So is that something that you almost have to relearn or do you feel like there's something about following the rules in that way that was beneficial to you? I think growing up, the concept of following the rules was, was uh, not a focus. So if anything, I probably had more trouble of like going to the military and then having it switched to being a focus. When you're, when you're growing up and you've questioned the rules, you, you think how to question them more in depth than someone who's like never questioned them before. So um, for example, I remember someone like someone saying, well, you can't set anything on the jet when you're working on it, which would be the grip mat, you know, set the grip mat on the jet. And um, I was like, where do you see that? Like, tell me where you found that rule. And then they're like, it was kind of one of those things that we think is a rule. It's not really a rule. We, we're not sure, but we could probably maybe find something close to that if we really looked. And then also I'm like, I knew that person wasn't an authority to tell me no. So, so like someone who's like really, really like following the rules. I noticed that with rules is that there's like different levels of people who with like rules. There's someone who's like, I'm going to break the rules because I find it fun just breaking rules. There's people who are like, if I don't see the rule, then it's not a rule. Um, it could be like trespassing. I didn't see a trespassing sign. So it's, it's no big deal when you're like clearly in someone's yard um, where it's like, you are trespassing. Um, and then there's, I, I've seen like people who will almost like fabricate rules where you're like doing something um, and they're like, wait, I, I think this is break. I don't think we're supposed to do this. And I'm like, where did this, they'll, they'll just like create rules where, um, yeah. So I, I feel like the military is almost like has encouraged people to like create rules. So um, where I was like the complete opposite. <laughs> so yeah, I guess I, I never got beaten into submission of like being the person who creates rules. I guess what it really helped me with is is to be ready to identify objections and like be ready for the person who's going to have, you know, kind of like foresee, like, here's some rules that might come about and then basically brainstorm or think about when that happens, how do I handle those objections if they are real rules? Does that make sense? When I, yeah. And I also think that like a lot of times the biggest strength can lie in not being like overly on one side, right? So if you were naturally a rule breaker going into an environment like the military where you're kind of like forced to follow rules might push you a bit more into the middle where you can, you know, kind of like benefit from both sides. Like, would you agree with that? Yeah, yeah. I mean, like I remember one time in particularly, so when we got to basic training, they took all of our cell phones and like locked them in this closet. And so you're in a, what's called a flight in, in the Air Force. A flight is like 65, 60, 65 people, guys. And so we're like flight number 690. Uh, so 690. So our brother flight, so another flight that we, had, we would like do like trainings a lot with was flight, flight 689. So they're like one number below, they were like one number before us. And I remember flight six, six, eight, nine, they had some guys basically remove the um, ceiling tiles to climb above it and go into the closet. So like, I know that <laughs> like they were like looking for that, for those rules to break. And, and I'm like, you know, I, I don't know if it's an exact rule, but that's almost like too far. Like I can almost guarantee that that is not supposed to happen. Uh, and that, and also, yeah, I, I definitely hear what you're saying of like being more, a little more balanced. I was almost like weighing out like, what is, is it worth breaking this rule? You know, also like get, getting fully understanding of what is the repercussions of, of breaking a rule? Like there's rules all the time. If you do something like here's the max consequences. If you were to go in front of a judge 
you you could they'll say like five hundred dollar fine, thirty sixty days in jail. That is like the absolute worst case scenario. But the thing is, you have every single scenario before that. So if it was something like I would never do this, but if you're like parking in a handicapped parking spot. Now you're probably, it'll say like 250 to $500 fine, which the thing is, if you're parked in there and you're sitting in the car, you most likely won't, the cop won't come up and say, Hey, give me 500 bucks. The cop might knock on your door and be like, Hey, what are you doing? If the cop comes. So I guess what I'm trying to say is with the rule following, I've kind of like gauged where like if, let's say if I were to trespass, you know, I'm probably not going to get arrested and put in jail overnight. Right. Is the risk worth the benefit sort of? Yeah. 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 And then I'd say, is the risk worth the benefit? And then like, how practical is the maximum risk? And are you, mm-hmm. are you looking at the maximum risk? So that kind of translates with business because people will be like, well, I'm afraid to do a business because, you know, I might end up homeless or I might lose my house or not be able to pay my bills. We're like, that's not really like in their mind, they're going to like the most severe case where like I talked to a lot of homeless people and not one of them said, yeah, I'm homeless because I just like swung for the fences for my dream. And I'm just like on the streets now. It's usually like a drug problem or like a psychological problem. Um, So yeah, I, I think it is like almost a healthy reminder of like bringing it, bringing the risk, risk of breaking a rule or risk of, you know, having a business, like bringing it down to reality and be like, okay, what is the real risk? And am I willing, am I able to overcome those, those barriers? Or um, do I not even like want to put up with it because it's not worth the reward? Yeah, that makes sense. Um, Like you've mentioned, you know, like having worked as a mechanic in the Air Force, something I'm curious about is like, obviously you've spent a lot of time working on complex machines that are airplanes and jet fighters and stuff like that having worked on such complex machines what are some of the similarities that you see from working on jets to running a business is they are sort of similar in that like a jet a business a well-run business tends to be a complex system what are some of the things that you've learned from working on jets and airplanes that you feel like have translated into business that the rest of us that haven't worked on airplanes can learn from? Definitely like a general understanding of, of tools. And so like the tools that are used to work on a car, to work on your sink, to work on a fighter jet, there's some that are different, but there's a lot that are, that are very much so the same. So um, what's kind of cool is like in the mechanic world, um, someone who works on cars finds it really cool of someone who works on a fighter jet machine gun, which like, honestly, that, that car mechanic could probably be briefed in like a couple hours on how to work on the machine gun. Um, it's just, there is, there is like this concept of like, oh, your thing is cooler. So therefore there's kind of like this, this awe factor. That's something I see that's like translatable of just like the general knowledge of tools. Um, I, I think it, it is kind of interesting of seeing the Air Force's structure of how they're operating to like task delegate and how they're um, really doing a systematic approach. So I do like admire within the Air Force of like how they're they do a systematic approach and how they do have like a chain of command and their system of like going up the chain of command and down the chain of command. So that's been, that's been pretty cool to see. And honestly, something I need to like reflect on more. So the, the thing, the big difference between like the military and the startup world is like the military does this stuff all day, every day for decades where startup world is, you know, we could switch everything within, you know, a few weeks, a few months. So, um, I mean, like when, when COVID hits, you know, everything switched overnight. So, um, startup world pivots and everything has to be recreated where military is, is very systematic, um, and is, and is definitely slower at shifting. Um, but I do like how they, they can be systematic. The systematic can be like 
when it when you have when you find a repeatable process the air force is like really good at expanding on that so i mean i think that looking at the startup world that's one of its benefits right versus like some of the larger corporations is that like you said a startup when covid happened is much quicker to pivot and thus like it's much more likely they'll survive versus a big corporate entity right i think that's one of its strengths but at the same time one of the big strengths of the military is exactly how systematic they are. So do you think that it's more like the startup world needs to learn from the military? Or do you think that the military perhaps needs to learn a little bit of that, like pivoting from the startup world? There's a massive need for the military to learn from the startup world, for sure. There's actually a group that I that I like to work with is called AFWorks. And they're really the forefront of of making that shift happen so mm. it's been really cool to see they're they're a pretty young program but um i mean they're making like a lot of waves and they, they're really cool a lot, a lot of a lot of amazing people in that program gotcha you know obviously like one of i think the really exciting things that's happened for you with grip mat and i've gotten to watch it a little bit because my friend ian works with you so you know i've kind of gotten to see the whole journey of grip mat um, one of the really exciting things that has happened for you guys is that you appeared on kind of on Shark Tank and you scored a pretty big deal from that. So congratulations on that. I don't think I've gotten to say that personally. I think that for so many people that are in the startup space, their goal is like, oh man, someday I just want to be on Shark Tank. And that's such an amazing achievement. Was that you? And then if it was when you did get to Shark Tank, did you wake up the next day sort of like, all right, now what, you know? So I, I was kind of like, well, now what? I'm like, well, I guess we'll do an update. And then we did an update and it's like, now what? Right. <laughs> and uh, we did another update and then I was like, okay, we can't just be doing this all the time. And uh, yeah, it was actually pretty redefining for myself and redefining for the company, um, you know, really focused. I mean, the, the focus is, was completely different of just like, you know, how do you apply, you know, okay, we got a deal. How do we, you know, get, you know, do the deal with the sharks? Um, so then it was, you know, we're not really focused on that. We're focused on, you know, what's our messaging as a company? What do we, um, what's our mission as a company? So what's our like relationship with our customers as a company? So um, it's been pretty cool to like transition to that and grow into like a real company, not, not just be like, this wishful person in abatement wanting to be on a TV show. Yeah. I think that relates to a lot of people who like, I mean, there's so many of these like entrepreneurial personalities now that are like famous. And I think a lot of people like really like their goal is to like meet those personalities. And then like you meet them and you're almost like you said, like you meet them and you're like, okay, like now what? You know, like I met them, I found out that they're not Superman. They're actually just like a normal human being, you know? And then like, it's almost like you need to like almost redefine like, what, like, what do you do now? Like, what is the like next big hill that you want to get to? Yeah, there's been a few times, um, a few times I've, I've met some like uh, um, higher level people. And sometimes I'm like, you got this far, like operating that way. And at first it was like kind of discour discouraging, but I was, it was kind of motivating after because I'm like, if you can get this far and you're on that level, I, I'll be fine. Right, <laughs> you right, know, right. Uh, with, if I can, you know, you can get this far with half a brain, I should be able to get, you know, pretty far with, you know, dodging the potholes that you, that you jumped in. So, uh, yeah, yeah, it's, it is pretty it can be, it can be pretty, pretty exciting if, if you, depending on how you want to look at it. As a, as a Shark Tank fan myself, I'm not a, like the biggest fanboy, uh, but I, I am a fan. I do watch the show. I'm curious because I've noticed that there is a little bit of a camaraderie in between the companies that have been funded by the same shark. So I'm curious what company that, you know, is kind of like another company that has been funded by one of the three sharks that you work with. Which company have you kind of learned the most from? Uh, and what was that lesson? So another Shark Tank company or another Shark Tank company that was that has the same investor? Um, 
I guess either. I didn't know if you had more connection to ones that weren't even invested by the same shark. So one thing that we do have is called, um, I won't say the name of it, but the, we've got a like a private Facebook group of um, Shark Tank um, of anyone who's been on the show. So you had to mm. like be on stage and be in it, have it air for you to be in this group. Even if you get a deal or not? Um, deal or not. So you could get, so, so in real life, some people can get a deal and it won't air. So that person is not allowed in this group. Has to, just has to air and you have to be on stage. So you, it, you can't be like, like, oh, I'm the COO of this company, but you, but I wasn't on the TV show. Like you're, you're not on, you're not in, in that group. So um, in that group, there is a lot of like, I host the mastermind. Um, actually, Eugenia mostly hosts the mastermind. Uh, we were like tag teaming. And then I like, I like started it. And then I was like, Eugenia, I'm weighing over my head. I, I can't like, I need help with this. And then Eugenia like actually made it a thing. Who's Eugenia? So, Eugenia, yeah. Um, Pataloon, I think is it. Pataloon, where um, it's basically a dog and it's an outfit where like on the front of the dog and it makes it look like the dog has hands. Um, I'm not sure if you've seen it. It's, oh, that's, it's her, like that's the, her business? Okay. Yeah, yeah. Um, so, oh, I know what you're talking about. Yep. Yeah, it's like the cutest outfit you could ever get for a dog. But uh, in that group, we've been like getting more more closer knit. Um, you know, there, there's definitely like a lot of, um, you know, familiar faces that you see with like within the Mark Cuban companies or Lori Grenier companies, um, especially like the Lori, Lori G companies will be, um, a lot of them go to like an Ace, the Ace Hardware show or they'll go to the home and houseware show in Chicago every year. So it's cool. Like Lori will have her own aisle of companies. So there's a lot of like collaboration, a lot of, uh, you know, a lot of excitement to see, see your friends again. It's kind of, it's kind of interesting of seeing. So we had, we had a, we were part of a shark tank update with like a collection of Lori Grenier companies. And it's kind of cool to like see the OG shark tankers. And then there's like the new shark tankers. It's almost like, like the, like, little kids table and like the adults table sometimes uh like the like the lori g og companies would be like um scrub daddy or squatty potty or um those are probably like the, the two biggest for sure and those are like the big boys at the table you're like oh man you know season one season two <laughs> like or, or like bambooey or um what is it the the drop stop it's funny because like they they've known each other they were all like season three or four that was like kind of like the like shark tank was like really growing fast um they they've just been around each other for basically like six or seven years where we've been around for like two or three so um it's it's kind of like interesting seeing um i don't know just seeing how how well they connect to, to each other um like quick story <laughs> i probably shouldn't tell this but i'm telling it anyway the uh the scrub you daddy get the guy, exclusive yeah the scrub daddy guy he um at his booths like the scrub daddy guy the scrub daddy daddy his name's aaron he he is an amazing salesperson like he is an he his pitch is fantastic and um at has a very very good demos very good setup at his booth and um, I guess someone somehow his his iPads got stolen and they were like he was able to like track the iPads and they were seeing that they were like going to like the hardcore like hood in Chicago and the, uh, the drop stop guys were like trying to like prevent him from like going to go find find these guys and he's like I don't know if there was alcohol involved or not. Uh, wouldn't surprise me with this crew. They they like to they like to play hard and and uh, they like to work hard and they like to play hard. But anyway, the 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 drop stop guys just talk about how he was like he's like I'm gonna find these people. Like it was really like mad that someone just stole something from him. And and they're like, dude, you're a millionaire. You don't have like just buy another iPad. 
fuck it, I'll buy another iPad for you. Like, and they, they end up having like call Lori at three in the morning to be like, hey, can you just like talk to Aaron? Cause he's about to like, he, he's like about to leave the bar and like go, it's three in the morning. He's about to go in like the hood of, of, <laughs> of Chicago to get, to get two iPads back. So it's just kind of cool to like see uh, those stories that they have and um, kind of talk about like, the old school shark tank stuff. And are there any like, like in, you know, hanging out with those guys, like, have you learned like any like lessons from business from them or has it been more like the camaraderie of being together? That's been really helpful. Yeah. I would say like probably where I've gained the most knowledge is from doing that mastermind. Um, there's like a lot of the, the younger, like newer shark tank companies in there, but it is cool just to be like, Hey, I, I've got, uh, we're starting to do YouTube ads. Anyone else doing YouTube ads or it could be anything. And sometimes it's, it's been growing. It's like, it is always a, like very valuable, but there is a lot of like just catching up, um, exciting, ex- being excited for other companies or there was like three of us in the mastermind group were on good morning, good morning America together. So it was kind of cool to be like, Hey Zach, what are your numbers? Hey, you know, Brandon, like, um, what kind of deals are you doing or, um, you know, different things like that. I'm curious also, you know, like we, we haven't like necessarily said this, but you did a very good job on shark tank because you got a deal from Mark Cuban, Lori Grenier, and also who am I saying? Richard Branson. Right. Yeah. And in having worked with all three of those very impressive entrepreneurs, what, if anything, have you learned from watching the way that they operate their business that you've been able to then bring into the way that you operate GripMat? Yeah, I would say like Branson has a very like unique leadership style. And um, it's almost like he's what he's good at is letting other people's brains hand, like handle most of the bandwidth. So like, as a leader, he's not like making all the decisions. He's just like, what do you think? And then you're like, well, and then he's just like, make for after that, he's just like making sure you're going in the, like a similar direction that, that he had in mind or, or whatever the direction you want to go is in, in aligned with the, the direction that, that he, he would like, uh, Lori's been like, she's, she's like, you know, has such a significant inside knowledge about, you know, like female shoppers and how they operate has been like really beneficial for like when we're making ads and doing things for gift buyers. I feel like Mark's been really good with finding like the way his brain works is very like very, very big picture and also like good at finding unique relationships so it'll be like oh yeah i guess that would be a good value there or um you know if i'm building out a new type of sales system that is unique that is very unique for like startup companies is there like a program that you could create and sell to salesforce and i was like oh i've never really thought of like having an asset that we could create to sell to a software company as us being a hardware company. Yeah. Um, you know, obviously an interesting thing about your company is that while you're not a hundred percent remote, you are, you know, remote friendly. Um, like I said, you know, my friend Ian works with you guys and you know, he's obviously remote, uh, right now you're in Hawaii, which I think is both interesting by the fact that you were just kind of like, Hey, COVID's happening. If I'm going to be locked down anywhere, why not Hawaii? That's interesting. Um, but I'm curious, like what were some of the things that you, learned, you know, operating in a remote friendly way that you're really glad that you learned now that COVID is happening? Yeah. So you're right. We were like remote friendly. Ian works remote. Everyone else was in the office. And I was always like, you know, I want to travel more. I want to, um, it would be cool if we had remote workers or or the ability to go remote. But then I was, I, I guess I put like, I put a lot of value in like working together side by side. And I I do agree that there is value there. Um, 
I also put like barriers around working remote and like communication that, so basically working remote is that the barriers around the communication is lower and the like camaraderie of like working side by side, I'm realizing like, it's not as high as I thought, like us working remote and like doing a zoom call, most of it can happen through that. I mean, yeah, there is, there is a little bit of like magic sauce that wouldn't happen. Um, or that there's some magic sauce that would happen if we were working together, but also at the same time, the, the thing is when you, when you're working together versus not working together, when you're not working to get together, it's not like, Oh, we're not working together. Turn off my brain. Like, Zoom call, the second we're off the Zoom call, I'm going to turn off my brain. Like we, we've got dry erase markers and we're writing all over the windows. And, and sometimes I'll have a thought and I'll be like, oh, I need to send that to Anna, send that to Trent, send that to whoever. Um, so like, like the, that creativity can, like the concept of brainstorming or any of that like magic sauce of being together, it's, it can happen separately too. So, um, and I, I've been like, thankful for COVID of just finally, I feel, I feel like I was like that kid who like never moved out of his parents' house. And then his parents just like kicked him out of the door. Like you got it. Like you're, you're 25. It's time to go. Uh, so, and then after like, at first it's like scary, like, Oh dang. And then you, you get out and then you're like, Oh, actually this is way better, <laughs> you know? So yeah, and I think like with what you said about that there's a magic sauce in being together, I fully agree with that. Um, and I think that that's why some of the companies that are of considerable size, um, like my friends over at Empire Flippers, for example, which is a huge company, 100 plus people I think they have now, um, what they do and what I think is really beneficial is they all work remotely from wherever they want to but they make sure that on a consistent basis, they all get together and they find that that togetherness, even if it's for a couple of days or a week and the magic sauce that happens there can carry over for the rest of the time. They're all all over the world uh, and that can continue until they kind of like get together again. So I think that I, that's what I push people to do all the time as well. When they, when they get together, is it like one week out of the year or what's the frequency and how, what's the duration? I'm not sure exactly what their frequency is. I think that they might do more than once a year, um, but they can obviously also do it because they're a bigger company with like bigger margins. I think like even doing it just one time a year. I mean, obviously, if you can do it twice a year or every quarter, like awesome. Like, you know, more power to you and like do it in cool places all the time. Like that'd be really dope. But I think even if it's just one year or once a year, it can be really beneficial. Yeah, yeah, we've talked about that too. Of, um, you know, if we were to like go somewhere to brainstorm for a week or so as a team, you know, if it's like a scenic spot in, in Salt Lake City or, um, you know, wherever, I think it would be a lot of fun. So now that, you know, you've kind of been forced into working remotely due to COVID. Is this something that you're going to adopt going forward or are you sort of looking forward to getting everybody back in Columbus and kind of working together? Um, I, I'm pretty solid. We'll be working remote like full time. Um, there will definitely be like some adjustments of, you know, like we have things in the office. What do we do with the office? How do we? And then because um, yeah, I've been looking to like travel more. So um longer term travel not just i'm here in town for a trade show um you know if that would be like moving to um you know la or boulder or those are kind of like the two hot spots to look at now so why yeah. those places just personally you like them or there's something about them in terms of like what they offer as a location and how it can help you grow so uh but here who um is, is with us here in Hawaii. He lives in Boulder and has been talking like very highly of it. Um, you know, so that I could stay with him for a month or so could help me find a place. Um, you know, it says if there's a lot of like similar or like-minded people there. Um, there's a lot of rock stars in Boulder. I mean, there's a lot of um, Olympians training there. There's a lot of 
Um, I think they say they got the highest per capita of PhDs there. Um, and then LA, I've got a, like another friend there, like one of my best friends, she has, uh, originally she was like, I'm going to get a two bedroom apartment and have one room as an office. And then she's like, okay, this is kind of dumb. I'm spending a bunch of money on a two bedroom. So she, uh, she's like, yeah, you could come stay with me. So I don't know, maybe I'll like hop around a little bit. Um, I'm not really set on a location. I mean, I, I, I really like Austin, Texas. It's another cool spot or, uh, San Antonio's dope. Um, I do like Salt Lake City, but you know, maybe it'll be a month or so at a time until I, you know, test it out and, and like it. Or I wanted to check out DC a bit. I mean, it's pricey, but um, my friend got a place that's like a mile from the White House. So it'd be kind of cool to like go on a run there. And, you know, before it was kind of like an either or of like either you travel or you work on Gritmat. Um, now it can be a both and you can do both of them and you can you can have a successful business so we've been like we've got a lot of entrepreneurs here and a very strong entrepreneur vibe and we're just kind of like talking if we could after covid like keep this going of have like maybe it's in in like south america or we find a location where we can get a really nice house and everyone's paying like a thousand dollars a month for the house and food and be able to sustain it because so we've got five people in the house now and it's it's everyone's getting along really well and there's been a lot of like synergy so um i've been wanting to like focus if we were to do that focus more on like south america just because like the time zone similarity would be like really nice but yeah that's kind of what we brainstorm for fun here it's interesting that you mentioned that because uh, my friend Dan from the Tropical MBA, which is a great podcast if anybody is listening and hasn't checked them out before. But back in, I want to say, I don't know, it was maybe like 2015, something like that, like that part of the, like that region of years. What they did was they went to Bali and they rented a house for, I think they said it was, they had just started making money from their company. And he was like, let's spend 17 grand on getting a dope ass villa in Bali. And what they did was they ended up getting this dope villa and then opened the doors to it and said like, anybody who's like an entrepreneur, like come stay with us. And they still talk about like the businesses that started in that villa and like all that kind of stuff. So that immediately makes me think of that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Is, what, what's the... Time difference with Bali. Shitty as hell. Really? It's pretty, it's in like, it's in uh, Indonesia, right? Yeah, I think it's like 13 hours. Yeah, that's, that's a rough one. But yeah, I mean, like, I had a buddy talking to me about Peru. And I'm like, well, you know, Peru's basically the East Coast time, which would be really easy. I'm like, as long as you got good Wi-Fi, um, I'm sure we can find everything else that we need. I'll tell you the place that you should actually look at is Merida, Mexico, because it's the safest, it's the safest city in Mexico. It used to be one of the richest places in Mexico. And they got like a great business community because of how much money is going to the city because of how safe it is. Great tourism, all that kind of stuff. And it's an Eastern time zone. Uh, mm -hmm. and they have like a really good expat community. So it's a, it's a good spot. Is it, uh, like coastal? It's in the Yucatan. It doesn't have a beach, but you drive 45 minutes and you're at a beach town, or I think it's like two hours to like Playa del Carmen and stuff like that. Okay. What's the cost of living? Is it lower or is it pretty good? Okay. That's the ones that we're looking for. Like if we, you know, get a, get a cheap place to stay, as long as you got a good Wi-Fi, we're, we're, we're golden. Yeah, no, it's it's very cheap. And I and I think you'd love it. It's it's a good spot. We spent three months there and we were planning on going back without this COVID stuff happening. So but you know, sort of in wrapping up, I want to be respectful of your time. And I'm kind of curious, you know, having gone through the military and then all the success that you've had with Grip Mat and Shark Tank and obviously like that, what do all your buddies from the military think about the journey that you've taken and you know, kind of like what you've done afterwards? So there's a little bit of like, like um, I don't want to say misunderstand, but like a, a difference. I was definitely kind of like a unique person just because um, I, I don't like take to peer pressure very well. And I, I was also like put in situations where like 
I couldn't, I could, I couldn't take to peer pressure. So like drinking, like, um, having good time, like partying is, is a very like strong part of our culture of like the air force culture. And I was just always like way too broke to like pay for, for alcohol or, or going, go out. So like it's drill weekend, national guard and you know, you haven't seen your buddies in a month and you're all coming together. You want to like go out and like have a good time and, you know, go out to eat, um, you know, relax with your buddies. And to me, I was like, I mean, I had friends there, but I just wasn't like, I wouldn't go out like normal um, because I couldn't afford it. So there was always kind of like, there was, there was that and then kind of like the whole like rule thing um, was happening. So there was a period where I like, moved to Milwaukee for a business, a military business accelerator. And it, it was like, I was like, can I miss these drill weekends? And it was like, uh, technically, and I had to do all this like paperwork. So it was very like, you know, like, oh my gosh, are you like letting him do that? That's like very taboo. So I was kind of like <laughs> testing out all the like taboo areas of the military and then also not doing the norm of the military. So there was like a little bit of like, like uh curiosity of like how like of me and they didn't like really get it i mean if i did go out i'd be like wearing something like this you know a bow tie and suspenders so it's just like what is this guy's deal and then things started to progress and then they're like oh i remember i think it started to, to like really click when i did a kickstarter and they're like because it was very like visual and transparent of like success where like if I go to a trade show I might make a Facebook post of like had a good show and then like they might see it but an ongoing kickstarter of three months and like the second someone says holy crap he just made a hundred grand like that that is like a ear grabber you know so um at that point it was just kind of like oh let's see how far this goes and um, it is kind of interesting now of like, I was talking to one guy who was, I was actually like a lot, like closer with out of, out of everyone in the military. And, um, I was like talking about some opportunities that he could help out with grip mat. And, um, there was this conversation we had about like, I was like, how big do you think the grip mat team is? And he's like, with everything you guys are doing, I was, I'd probably guess like 40. And I'm like, no, we're like four <laughs> at the time. And uh, so there's like a little bit of like perception and also like just the way military guys like talk is I think there's almost like, like exaggerated rumors. I don't think any of them are bad. It's just like this one time it was like a, a this girl I went to college, it was her, um, her brother who's in the Navy and his navy base is close to our, our air force base and he sometimes they'll come to our base for like different medical checkups or whatever um or certifications and he was like i ran into him in toledo ohio at a bar and he goes he goes hey um is it true that you bought a, the new tesla roadster and i was like what <laughs> this is after like grip mat kind of like made it a little bit bigger yeah yeah, yeah. and he was, i was just like what do you, what do you mean he goes he goes don't don't lie to me dude i know you got one like someone said they saw it on your instagram and i and i go all i'm gonna say is those cars are super fast and then and then he goes okay okay i just need to get this one out too is it true that you told walmart to f off like you like you like, we're gonna watch walmart and you're gonna you're gonna do it and uh i go you know what, man, I don't know what you're hearing, but we will not be in Walmart anytime soon. <laughs> <laughs> and that, like, nice. that never happened, but it never happened of like me meeting with Walmart. I mean, there wasn't even like, there's sometimes you'll meet someone from Walmart. They're like, maybe this would be a good idea. Maybe we could try it out. And then, you know, when you're at trade shows and everything, but uh, <laughs> like, I'm like, I don't know where this is coming from, but yeah, there, there is like definitely this like interesting perspective and perception um 
there was a couple, you know, some people that were like really big on like the rules that were like, oh, I never thought that's going to actually work. Or um, there's some people who are just like, there, there's like one guy in particular I, I can think of who's very like, he, he, he still would be negative about the grip mat. One guy, one guy, he's like, he's the very like, he teases hard. Like his, his humor is like, like very, very rough. And um, he would be like, don't tell anyone this, don't tell anyone this, but I actually use your grip mat a lot on my motorcycle. It's uh, <laughs> like, he's like, I, I have, actually have all your sizes and I, I've like, like for all my motorcycle buddies, I gift them. It's like the best gift. And whenever we're like broke down alongside the road, like uh, I always carry one with me at all times. This is great. I love it. Well, isn't <laughs> like, that the best not- testimonial right there? <laughs> Yeah, yeah. He's like, don't tell anyone that I said that. That's <laughs> I was funny. like, thanks. <laughs> uh, well, well, Tom, man, I got to say, thank you so much for coming on. I really appreciate it. I, I appreciate you sharing all the stories and, and giving us kind of like a behind the scenes look and everything that you've experienced. Obviously, it's a an entrepreneurial journey that a lot of people dream of that ha- they haven't had the chance to experience. So thank you for giving us a look at that. Um, Tell people, you know, like where can they find the grip mat? Um, you know, I know that you guys have a website, obviously, but are you selling it anywhere else? Like where can people connect with you? Yeah, so you can find us on our website. It's www.grypmat.com. Uh, you can find us on Instagram, on Facebook. Um, my personal accounts are Tom at 26 Burden. So Instagram, if you want to see me dancing, that's on TikTok. Um, so yeah, feel free to send me a friend request on, on Facebook or yeah, feel free to check out our website. So, and I know that you had mentioned that for listeners of the show, we have a little, uh, discount for 10% off, I believe. So, um, yeah. yeah. Yes. So if you just do FB 10, um, that'll get you, that'll get you 10% off. So yeah, if you're interested in grip mat, now's the time to buy it. There you go. Well, Tom, thanks so much seriously for coming by. I really appreciate it. I hope you had fun and uh, don't don't enjoy Hawaii too much for those of us stuck in uh, Middle America. Yeah, moment. <laughs> it's rough. There's like it's the sun's out. Sometimes it rains. It's like I won't go into how rough it is here. Thanks. I I will zip up my Patagonia a little bit higher since it got chilly here. But uh, thank you so much, seriously, man, and uh, all the best. Yeah.